Whipper. I got a fever. And the only prescription is more cowbell. So you know how to walk. You know how to dance. Every dance with the dead. Welcome to another episode of This Week in Salsa. Welcome to my fellow salsa dancing addicts. Today we have on the show Anthony Kumo Tinio from uh, Dolce Vida Dance Company. Anthony, thanks for joining us today. Thanks for having me, man. Absolutely, absolutely. So we've known each other for a few years now, man. You were one of the first guys I got exposed to here in the salsa community. And the question that I start out with everyone that I talk to is, how did you come up? Where did you start dancing? Where does your dance career begin? And then where does your actual salsa career begin? So just tell us a little bit about your story. Well, um, let's see. I've been dancing now for 14 years. Uh, I started when I was 14, so put two and two together to figure out my age. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I had no formal training at first. Um, I basically had a lot of Latin friends when I was 14 and would go to a lot of house parties. I learned homestyle salsa, bachata, merengue. I was so terrible, like the typical white boy that has no idea what he's doing. I would embarrass myself. And what I mean by that is <laughs> at parties, I was, I, would, I was so enthralled in wanting to dance. Like I loved it so much. Anytime I would go up to a lady to ask her to dance, they'd see me coming and they hated dancing with me so much. They would just try and like grab the closest guy next to them. So it was quite comical and stimulating, but at the same time, I think it's what helped push me to get better because, you know, anytime you're faced with um, something embarrassing like that, you really want to get good. So that was in part what helped push me to have a drive of wanting to become um, good at dancing. And aside from the fact that I enjoyed it, um, it wasn't until about the age of 20 that um, I really wanted to get more involved with dance. Um, when I was 18, I had somewhat of a dance partner here and there. I had a couple different ladies, but nothing serious. And uh, at the age of 20, that's when I really started to want to take it up a notch. And that's when I started getting involved doing a little bit of ballroom. Um, and then at the same time, that's actually when I met uh, Mary and, and uh, Tanya, when uh, back when, I want to say 2006. Um, basically, I went to one of their classes in Naples, and um, it was a great experience. I really got along well with them. And pretty much the history from there is, uh, I started teaching right away, six months after I started with them. And so you uh, started teaching about six months after you formally started learning salsas, is my understanding there, which sounds actually a lot like me. And so for me, it was kind of like I was learning to fly as I was building the plane in a, in a certain respect, right? And I, I noticed that that definitely increased my rate of learning when I taught. Did you notice the same kind of thing? What What did you notice that improved in yourself when you started teaching? Okay, well, I mean, you probably already know someone you're going to be able to relate to this. When you teach, you really have to know not only the man's part, the lady's part, how to teach it to someone who has no idea what you're talking about. And it just kind of like reinforces what it is that you're doing in your body, in your mind, in your feet, and just making it happen, like the whole connection happens. So when you teach, it just it just kind of skyrockets your level of dance faster than if you were to not be teaching for that very reason. Um, I'm also slightly at the same time, even though I'm, 
I did it, like I started teaching six months at the same time, I feel a little guilty about it because I feel this also dance community is watered down. And um, what I mean by that is anyone comes off the street calling themselves a teacher. And if you were to do ballroom or ballet or any type of like real formal training, that's as unacceptable in any kind of dance community. And I feel that that's partially why any other dance community views Salceros and kind of like has a negative connotation to it, which is, and I think it's actually kind of sad. Um, I do feel that um, it's starting to flip around in a positive direction because more people are taking it seriously. More people are coming into salsa as LA trained dancers, jazz, um, contemporary, lyrical, modern, or ballroom dancers. And it's really starting to raise the level in the bar and uh, really starting to get a higher appreciation for it. And I apologize if I just went in a tangent there. It's just, that's a subject I have a lot of um, emotion on because, you know, I'm, I've done it myself and I'm guilty of um, teaching six months after dancing. There's positive aspects to it personally on a level, but at the same time, I feel as an instructor, we have a responsibility to really do things correctly. Um, we have to educate people who basically are ignorant as to what's going on in this in this dance world, which is quite small. But um, they they need that help and that nurturing. And to be able to be fresh into learning how to dance and trying to teach someone, like it's you're not being able to set someone up in the right direction. Yeah, you know it's it's interesting, Kumo, because I I just saw an interview with it was La Epoca is the name of the interview documentary done out of New York, but I believe they interviewed Frankie Martinez was one of the people, and he said pretty much just that as well. So he was talking about how yeah, so he said like listen. We appreciate that there are people out there that really feel a passionate connection to the dance, but when it comes down to it, they feel this passion, which makes them want to teach and share that passion, but the problem is is that they don't have a full understanding of salsa, so they're teaching in a watered-down fashion, they're not teaching correct technique, and correct technique is a very subjective term because who the hell knows what correct technique is, right? Salsa, by definition, is this mixture of all different kinds of techniques, so uh, Corey, who we had on the podcast last week, uh, she was saying how the technique is very much unique to your body in a lot of ways. Like she had very long arms, she was saying, right? So she has to modify her technique to fit those long arms. And um, the way I think about salsa, the way we dance salsa versus ballroom and ballet and a lot of those others, it's like those are the McDonald's of the dance world. Not the McDonald's is, is bad in that case, but it's very uniform. It's rigid. You're going to get the same thing in New York as you get in L.A. But with salsa, it's unique in every place, very much more like Chinese food, right? You go to a different Chinese place in Texas, and you're going to get like a Texas cowboy steak roll, right? It's going to look different. And, um, and what I like about that yeah, yeah. I mean, especially since I'm a vegetarian, it's very interesting. But, but, dude, it's like because of that, because there are less rules in place, I also think that that opens up the door for more innovations to happen. I mean, if you look at the timeline of ballroom and ballet, I don't think there are too many innovations happening in there. But if you look at salsa, the art form has changed a ton over the past 20 years in this kind of renaissance of, of the dance. Would you agree? Oh, yes, very much so. So you um, you started teaching. You went on. What what else do you notice? It sounds like teaching was a major, major driver in you becoming a better dancer. 
what else was a driver? I mean, did you at any ways try to like, I know for me when I was first learning and I was in the salsa hell and I wasn't all that good, I was desperately trying all kinds of hacks and ways to accelerate the rate at which I learned and the rate at which I could become a good leader. Uh, were there any things in the early days that you remember that you did like record yourself, reminding yourself to do things or watching YouTube videos endlessly or like, what are some of the tactical things that our listeners may be able to, to take from you and the level of dance that you've accomplished now? It's essentially like the way, it, I mean, you pretty much said it and really way to put it is drive. If you are driven to get something and you want something bad enough, it's going to happen. You're going to find a way to make it happen for your body in a way that you want. Um, the other aspect is my dance really took off when I really tried to create my own identity. Um, when you're trying to become something that you're not, you're going to stifle yourself. Granted, there's going to be plenty of amazing dancers out there that you want to try and emulate, but until you really find out who you are and what you have to offer in this dance world, that is really knowing yourself. That is really knowing what your purpose is. And when you have that, I mean, that's, that's when you're really going to be able to take off because there's nothing more um, stifling than being confused about your own identity and who you are. So when you know that it just, it just accelerates and, and things happen and, and your dance takes off and you're not, and you're no longer worried about, um, what someone thinks of you or how you're portrayed, so to say. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm indirectly answering you at the same time. Yeah. It, it is a direct answer. It's just basically what I'm trying to say is if someone's driven to want to do it, they're going to find ways to try and accelerate. They're going to look at YouTube. They're going to go to congresses. They're going to go to events. They're going to try and push their body to challenge themselves to reach higher heights. That's, why, that's actually the reason why I compete. I actually do not compete to prove anything to anyone. I don't need that. Like, that does nothing for me. I don't care if I get first place or if I get last. To me, it's a checkpoint. It's a goal. It's, it's a reason for me to set something, a standard for myself, to push myself to see what can I do? What can I accomplish? How far can I take my limit? What is it that I can't do? You know, and, and it's, really, um, it's really enlightening when you, when you get to discover that about yourself. And, and it's, it's never-ending. Like the day till I die, I'm going to be constantly learning, growing, developing, figuring out new, more effective ways and how to do something. And that applies to all aspects of life. It's not just dance. But in the case of why I compete, that's, that's the exact answer. It sets goals. It challenges myself. It gives me a drive and pushes me to excel faster. Because if I didn't have those goals, you know, you get, you can become a little less disciplined or a little lazy, so to say. Right. Yeah. And, and that's one of the challenges that I've had a lot with my dancing is that I hit these plateaus, right? And we were talking about this before we, we started recording here was that I hit these plateaus, I hit these ruts and I noticed that I've, I've done so far three performances, which is the closest I can proxy to a competition because I haven't done any competitions yet, but damn performances feel a lot like a competition to me. And, um, I, I noticed that when I'm signed up, you're being, yeah, people are looking at you when you're dancing, not the same really for social dancing, but you in that three month crunch, right? Before you go live on stage somewhere, if it's like the big Congress, like the Orlando Congress or something, you're going to be performing there. Uh, you feel this urge, this, this pushing and pulling to just 
be good, you know, and, and push past a lot of your, um, of your limiting factors, your, your limiting skills. And if you suck at spins and you got to do a triple spin, well, you're going to get down that triple spin or you're going to face the consequences. So I, I agree with having those kinds of milestones, those kinds of checkpoints to push yourself. Cause if you're not working towards anything, um, then, then you don't really know when you've gotten there. You don't really feel that motivation. Tell me more about the competitions though. So, I, I've been to one competition, which is at the San Francisco Solace Congress. I went to the Pro-Am uh, competition. Uh, so I, I have a little bit of exposure to it. But how would you say that it really differs from uh, the normal performances that you see at Congresses? Well, I actually have not been to the San Francisco uh, Pro-Am competition. So if you could actually share a little bit of light. Uh, as I've seen some videos from it, but being there in person is completely different. I've been mm-hmm. to a lot of different competitions. So if you could tell me a little bit about it and then I could tell you how it's same or different. Yeah. So it, it seems like, uh, it remind me in many ways, like a performance in that people were watching, but there were also obviously a set of judges as well. Um, it was very, very high quality routines. You could tell that everyone that was there was really there to win it. Right. There weren't just um, like student teams did not exist. Really, you didn't get that sense at all. You got the sense that people were really high end trained up for this. Um, and it was very intense. You know, there wasn't uh, sure the performances, the, the competition performances. There were some fun aspect to them, but it seemed like a very intense environment. You could feel the tension and you could feel uh, the, the difference in, I guess, the vibe compared to a performance. Um, so. Okay, so I'll tell you how it sounds very similar to a a typical uh, competition. First off, let me talk to you about uh, ballroom competition. Um, Ballroom competitions, I've been to just a couple of them. I haven't competed in them. However, I'm I'm actually excelling into doing programs in ballroom competitions as well. That's actually an avenue I'm starting to go into. Um, But those are completely different. Like you go to those a barm competition and it is so regimented, so regulated, has such a governing body over the things you can literally do and not do. It's pretty much, it, it's very um, strict, put it that way. Um, there's different formats to any type of competition I've been to. There is heats, the heated division, which is basically a lead and follow format. You have a song playing at random. There's multiple couples on the dance floor and basically you're placed and judged against each other accordingly. Um, uh, let me see. World Salsa Summit has the same format as that. It's very similar to a bomb competition. Uh, IHSC, International Hustle and Salsa Competition, uh, the format was similar to that one, um, where you have heated divisions during the day. Um, you have uh, amateur couples even competing, doing showcases. You have pro-ams, the professional and the amateurs, doing showcases as well in different divisions, you know, you have your on one, you have your on two, you have your classic, you have your um, uh, cabaret division. So it's very um, regulated. There's a lot of uh, regulating factors for different divisions. Um, And in my opinion, how uh, it differs um, a competition versus um, performing, let's say. And you already said it as you were describing it to me. It's like a different vibe there. And that vibe is like it's it's taken a little bit more serious. Like um, people are there and they've worked really hard to accomplish something. And it's like they get to put their work on the floor and to see how they do on uh, with all that pressure and with all that tension, with all odds against them during that moment. 
But I will say this, every single person I know at a competition, I've gotten to know a lot of them. They're like some of the coolest people ever. Like just to hang out backstage with some of them, like they seem like they're, when they go on stage, they're so serious, just the focus. But I mean, like if you're to go and talk to like Elvis and Brianna and Fausto and uh, Uriel and Vera, like they're just some of like the greatest people that you can talk to. Like you'll, you'll, you feel like a, a, a warm feeling being around them. So that's a little tangent with that one. Yeah. Does that cool. kind of answer your question or? It, it, it does. It, it does. And I think for me, my, my progression, I think is to do more performances and then work my way up maybe to competitions, maybe not. But uh, again, I think going back to your point that what drives you, right? What motivates you? Uh, why are you doing the competitions? If, uh, if you're doing it for yourself, then that's great. For me, I don't, I don't know if I necessarily have an interest in competition. I haven't really viewed salsa for my five years of being in this community as really something too competitive. So the idea of competition doesn't really appeal to me all that much. The performances do. Uh, definitely the social dancing does. I'm a social dancing creature for sure. Um, and, you know, I want to get back to something you mentioned before, which is defining your own style. I wonder how you define that, right? How would you define your own style, whether that's as a salsa dancer in general or your style on the dance floor? But if you had to sum up your dancing style in one or two words or one or two sentences, how would you tell that to someone? If, if you can't really show them how you dance, how would you describe how you dance? Hmm, a tough one. I think part of it is is just having a sense of knowing who you are and what your purpose is in life. And I think when you have a clarity in that sense of you, you're going to be able to dance according to that. In other words, every time I dance, it might be a little bit differently. It's, it's, let's face it. Dance is an art. Art is emotion. So when you're dancing, it's, it's emotion based. So whatever emotion it is that you're feeling, that's kind of how you're going to express yourself. Or I actually think it's the way it should be. Right. Um, Sure. So actually, and I know that there are a couple of other styles that factor in it. You do hustle, yeah? Yes. Yes. Okay. So yeah, I've seen a couple of your performances where you work in some hustle elements. How, how did the hustle become a part of your salsa, salsa dancing? Um, well, initially, I think you're referring to one of my original performances where it was like a bachata hustle-ish thing. First off, I didn't have training in it at that point. That was a mess. I, I hope that that no one ever sees that performance again. <laughs> I'll, I'll link to it in the show notes. I'm linking to it in the show notes. <laughs> I brought it up and I actually forgot about it. And I was like, oh, man. <laughs> but, okay, so anyways, um, basically our coach is Billy Fajardo. Billy Fajardo was one of the original dancers in Hustle during the New York time when it was really blossoming. So he's actually has even written one of the instructional manual books on hustle. Like he, he's, he's kind of like him and him and Katie, his uh, wife, you know, they, they've competed in hustle. They're the top champions in it for their time. And it's just, you know, so not only do I train with him in, in salsa and getting better at that, but we've also been working on uh, hustle. So, uh, my most recent one is, um, at IHSC, the International Hustle and Salsa Competition. We didn't do a routine, but we just competed as a heated division as professionals. Uh, so hustle definitely plays a big role because you start, the more dances you learn, uh, for example, like ballroom, you know, you have your 10 typical dances, you know, you have your smooth and your, and your rhythm dances. The more dances you know, 
the more they all become kind of integrated. Like my favorite dances, personally, are salsa, bachata, cha-cha, hustle, and West Coast swing. And they all kind of, as you learn them and develop them, and you kind of start integrating things from each dance into each one, which is actually how salsa has developed so much over the years is because of dancers from other genres of dance have influenced the salsa world into basically what you see it today. So West Coast Swing World has, you know, it's a lot of dance and you're going to see a lot of lyrical and, and expression type moves. And that's, that has helped influence the salsa world. Uh, the same thing with hustle. So um, the hustle today is different than what you see back in 30 years ago, how it was 40 years ago. So, it, you know, each dance does evolve and each one kind of helps and nurture each other uh, with people who are prominent in whatever scene it is and, and how they integrate it back and forth. Right, does that right. kind of answer the question you were looking for? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and hustle is on my list of at least taking a class or two in it. Haven't done that yet. Haven't done it for Kazomba and a couple others as well, but um, yeah, it's, it's definitely something I got to do. It's uh, fun. It's really fun. Like you'll, it's it's hard. It's a fast paced dance, but man, when you see some of the top pros in it, you're just going to be like, "Wow, that is yeah. awesome!" And then you can start integrating like some of the same moves in the salsa. It's like, "Oh, this is so cool!" You know, so it's it's fun. <laughs> That's what I like. And now, one of the things that that I noticed just when when we first met, and I first saw your dancing. One of the things that jumped out to me about your dancing from my naive salsa eyes was uh, your spinning technique. So I, I really appreciate and value, you know, your quality of your spins. Um, I, I I have a little bit of trouble myself with spins. I can do a couple, you know, freestanding. Uh, they are okay. But what would you say are some of the best ways to train your spinning, how to be become a good spinner, uh, for men, uh, for me, but then, uh, cross board also for women, obviously w uh, women spinning is extremely important as well. But what would you say to someone if they want to learn how to become a good spinner? That's a phenomenal question. I'm going to answer it, kind of go in a little bit of tangents if you don't mind, okay. so bear with me. Um, first off, I'll talk about myself personally, then I'll talk about, you know, and that'll kind of at the same time answer for other guys. And then I'll talk about it for ladies. Um, so for myself personally, um, I was enthralled with spinning. Just seeing it in the middle of dance to me was like the coolest thing ever when I first saw it. I was like, okay, I am doing that. I just set my my mind to it, and I just started practicing it every day. I fell. I did. I mean, you can't be afraid for failure. If you're afraid to fail, you're going to not make it happen. So you literally just have to be in your own time and, you know, both not only in the safety of your own home practicing it, but also just being out there in the wild, like just doing it, not being afraid of what people think if you fall on your ass. You know what I mean? It's not a big deal. It is what it is. You know, it's the learning curve. That's how you excel. Um, what I would do, and, and this is something that people need to be careful about, is um, when you practice your spins, you don't want to exceed like a five-minute threshold. Like you pretty much want to do five minutes at a time tops because beyond that, you're going to get spun out. You also don't want to favor a certain side. Um, when I first started, I was guilty of my left side spins were always better. I'm just better at turning to my left for some reason. <laughs> Reminds me of Zoolander. I'm going to be digital. I can't turn left. <laughs> <laughs> no, but, but you have to practice both sides equally. You want just like 
Um, if you're, as a lady, you want to be able to do your inside and outside turns, which is left and right turns, you know, pivot turns, chenet turns, spiral turns, coupe turns, whatever they are, um, spinning on one foot, it has to be equal on both sides. That's my recommendation. If you're going to practice, you do one side, then the other side, one side, then the other side. You will always have a side that's worse. It's just the way it is. You, when you are practicing, though, you want to start with the side that's better, doing it once, and it will help fix the side that's not as good. Does that make sense? What, what, no, I, I don't quite understand. What do you mean by that? For example, for me, my right side spins are worse than my left. I'm not going to start by doing my right side spins because it'll probably mess up my left spins. So I will start doing one to the left just to like get my body coordinated and ready to go. And then from there, I will then do my right. So my left side spin, my better side, will help fix my worst side, my right. And that's just for me personally what I've noticed that works. And and I, I want to really like be detailed about this because I'm going to practice this after this call. So would you would you actually are, are you saying like literally you spin once to the left and then literally spin once to the right right after that, or do you do like two or three to the left, two or three to the right? Like, is there any difference between doing a couple versus doing one and the other? Is it easier to kind of synchronize your movements if you're going one the other or multiple? Like, is there any difference there, or does that not matter? Am I looking way too much in detail on this? No, no, that's not being too much detailed, and that's actually a good question. And, and there is a difference. Um, so when I say doing one to the left, I literally mean one to the left. If you could do half to the left, that'd be even better. What I mean is when you, when you're trying to find your center, you need to take the time to really get your body in line because let's face it, a spin, you're in one exact line from the ball of your foot to the crown of your head. And if you need to focus on your hips, your, your rib cage, everything being tucked and put in place and in one line as possible. Um, which is especially difficult because um, some people have more of a curve in their back than others. So um, really finding your alignment and, and not rushing into it, taking your time and, and really getting to know your body. And once you're set up, then you just uh, execute one perfectly, nice and easy, not pushing, not thrusting, just, just nice and easy, nice and controlled. Because turns and spins are about control. If, if you're wildly flailing your body into things, you're not going to have any control or rhythm. And let's face it, when you're doing turns and spins, you are doing it to rhythm. You know, Latin dancing is rhythm-based. So if you're off rhythm, it doesn't make sense anymore. So what's the point in doing 10 spins if you're sloppy? You know what I mean? So, yeah, I will do a left. I'll warm up by doing my good side first. I will start get in position, I'll take my time, when I'm ready to go, I do one, then I do the same thing the opposite direction. And I'll keep repeating that until I feel comfortable with it, and I feel like my body's warmed up and I'm doing a little bit better, and then I'll start upping the ante. I'll start going to two spins, two spins on each side. When I feel like I'm accomplishing that really well, I'll do three. By the time you get beyond two to three, it's, it's a little redundant. It, you know, There's not any real need to do more than that when social dancing unless unless you're just trying to show off. I mean, let's face it. <laughs> if you're in the mood to show off, you're going to bust out six, seven spins. If if you're looking for cleanliness and, and execution and rhythm and, and being on point, you're only going to need to do two or three. So if you can do two or three, like really clean, on point, control, and rhythm, it's going to look phenomenal. 
Right, right. Okay. And, so, and, and again, it's all about your goals. It's all about what you want. You know what I mean? Like in the practice of your own home, if you want to see how many you could do before you fall on your butt, you know, do it, you know? Yeah. And, yeah. and my and, other and, recommendation, I'm sorry, uh, um, uh-huh. before I go further, is that um, there's no better training for your body and learning your alignment than ballet. If you could do a ballet class, you're going to really learn how to do spins a lot more clean and controlled. Um, it really, you really discover what muscles and there's, the thing is with spins is that there's so much control in using all these little tiny muscles that you don't normally use unless you're doing ballet and, and that particular style of dance. Like it just, it trains your body and how to be controlled. For example, coupes and pirouettes and, you know, all those different kinds of spins. So if you can do those and, and take a ballet class, that's my recommendation because you're going you're gonna to fine-tune those muscles that are required for spinning. Mm-hmm. I definitely noticed that theme. A lot of these salsa dancers came up in ballet, the, the women especially. But, and they're, yeah. <laughs> it tends to be a, a six-year-old girl kind of thing growing up. So I get it. You know, us, us guys, I know, right? Imagine. why I don't know why my dad spent all that time with me in Little League. I could have been in ballet class. If only. If only I could, like, I just saw the new X-Men movie where they transport your consciousness into the past. Man, if I could just transport my consciousness into my six-year-old self and just say, ballet, yes. Salsa, Yes. Uh, that would be the best ever. So you come yeah. back and you're like transformed and you already know it all. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, you'd uh, ask me, you'd ask me before you said first off to help for the guys and then for the ladies. And you yeah, kind of yeah. already answered it. A lot of ladies who are coming into this are all, are already ballet trained. Um, for example, like uh, the way Christine and I practice, uh, she's a phenomenal spinner. Like that girl just, she has it like, when when her and I first started um, dancing together, she could not do one turn. Like she would, she gets disoriented. Like she has an inner ear thing, so like it's really hard for her to develop. But if that just goes to show you having that like um, handicap, if you would, if you will, you know what I mean. Like if you have an inner ear problem and and you're turning, you get really sick to your stomach. She was so determined to get it, and she just stuck with it every single day. And now she's like a phenomenal spinner. Like she does the corkscrew or coffee grinder, you know, however you want to describe it. I mean, she could spin and spin and spin like, like no tomorrow. Like she's amazing at it. So, um, for ladies, um, definitely having the ballet training. Um, Christina definitely had that when she was young. She was in, like, uh, she was a small girl doing ballet. So picking up and, and also had international training in, in, uh, ballroom. So she has a lot of control when her and I came into our partnership together. So right away, she was able to pick up on things and excel fast. So for ladies, that definitely helps. Having control and understanding of your body and your center and and, um, placement of your feet and and knowing how to stay balanced on the center of your core. Yep. Yep. And and for the audience, yeah, Christina is your uh, your partner both at Dolce Vita and in your performances and your competitions, correct? Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So, so now, how long has that partnership been going on for? And I, I'd love to hear just a little bit about how that started and and what you've learned about uh, being in that partnership. Uh, learned about dancing with each other. Learned about just uh, <laughs> you know surviving each other's company. Maybe I mean, what uh, you know, what can some of the listeners who may be part of a partnership doing much of the same thing? What, what kind of insights can you glean for them? 
Well, I'm this, this is probably going to take time, about 10 minutes, and that's me uh, shortening <laughs> it. <laughs> so, um, first of all, her and I met uh, actually about three years ago. We were at a dance event in uh, Cape Coral. Um, we met, and right away, you know, when something vibes right with someone, you could just you could just tell like there's that feeling, there's that energy. It just kind of flows. You know what I mean? Yep, so yep. right away, upon just looking at each other, we just things just vibed well with us. So we got along really great. Um, we started practicing and dancing right away. She could not dance salsa at first, but she picked up on it so fast, you know, with the training that she already had in dance. Um, and actually, she excelled past me quite quick, which was a little embarrassing on my end. <laughs> but at the same part, it helped make me want to push myself to, to get better. Um, putting this in a nutshell, as a partnership over the past three years, um, I have learned my greatest strengths and my greatest weaknesses in ways that I did not know was possible. Um, the reason why you will see a lot of dance partnerships not being able to last is because when people are typically confronted in any partnership that's going to have this, confronted with whatever those weaknesses are, um, whatever those challenges are, you're either going to face them and, and overcome them or you're going to fail and just give up. And there's so many times in so many ways that I can't even describe that we had so many challenges to overcome as a partnership in our business and dealing with others and just so many different aspects, you know, and it's not, it, this is part of life and, and learning your own sense of character, which is why we've developed so fast in, in um, understanding our own, who we are and what it is that we have to offer. That's part of, I mean, partnerships, are amazing in that sense. I almost feel like it's like a, a marriage because, you know, like if you were to talk to like a old school, the old school generation, how they would, they're married 50 something years. You know what I mean? Like they're, they really stick it out rather than just giving up and getting a divorce. I almost think of it as the same way because if you talk to them, you really just, you really see how they were able to overcome obstacles, you know, amidst some of the most impossible things you would think they'd be able to come through. Um, I know I'm I'm kind of generalizing right now. Um, I I can think of some specifics of things that uh, between Christina and I, um, off the top of my head. um, No, that's I have a short I have a short temper, so like I (laughs) I get frustrated easily. Like, and it's not a good thing. It's just that's just my weakness. I'm I'm right there with you, man. I get frustrated. Like if I can't get yeah. something, it's just like, come on, man, what's wrong with me? You know? And, and that's, that's honestly it's immature. And I really had to come to terms with the fact that I need to stop doing that. And the only reason why I was able to overcome that was a, my coachability would be on me about it. He'd be like, that's come on, man, grow up. Like it is what it is. This is the first time you've seen the move. This is the first time you've come across this, give your body chance to overcome it and learn it. And once you have learned it and then you're digressing and you're not getting it, well, then you can be mad at yourself. But for the meantime, learn it, give yourself time to learn it, and and then it will happen. But if you're frustrated right away, it just closes off your brain. So there's multiple times that in practices, I would just get frustrated, man. We'd be learning a new routine that was challenging ourselves beyond our limits, and it just it, it could be a very challenge if you have a short temper, if you're a person who gets frustrated easily. You really have to learn how to mature up fast, basically, and, and really be able to face obstacles without taking the easy way out of getting frustrated and being like, oh, this sucks, I can't do it. You know what I mean? Rather than 
actually facing it. It's character building. Like I have, I would say that my partnership, some of the most rewarding parts of it is I've learned really my own sense of character and, and development and through dance. It's because of dance that I've, I've become a better person. I, I've learned more about who I am. And in sense, because of that, your quality of work in your dance shows because your personality is matching along with it. So that's, it's kind of like a really beautiful thing. And, and that Absolutely. is what partnership brings. If you just give up, if you take the easy way out and just say, screw this, I can't do it, which happens a lot. I mean, there's a lot of people who just, you know, easily give up and they move on to the next partnership. And, you know, I, I, I understand why they do it because they're facing those difficult, ad, you know, adversities. But at the same time, if you can endure it, it's so worth it. Absolutely. That's great, man. Um, you know, I want to be mindful of your time. So I, I want to wrap this up with a couple of rapid fire questions that I ask everybody. So, uh, you know, these can be as, as short or as long answers as you want, but a couple of quick questions. First, favorite Congress that you've been to? Ooh, my favorite Congress that I've been to. Oh, you know, I haven't been to all that many Congresses. That's the thing. I've been mm-hmm. to, um, well, Orlando Congress was, I mean, that was my first Congress I ever went to. And I have such fond memories, especially of it being my first Congress and all. Like, I, I could still remember it to this day of how much that meant to me. Um, I absolutely love that one. Orlando Congress is definitely, I think, in my opinion, a great Congress. Um, I think there's too many performances, but I won't go, you know, in detail with that, you know. <laughs> Um, Frankie's a great guy. I really like Frankie and, you know, he's really trying to nurture the salsa world and help new, up and new coming artists. So I, I think it's actually a great thing that, you know, he's able to, um, create something in that way where these people are able to be on stage and do that. You know what I mean? Um, yep, yep. you know, of course that's the pros and the cons, you know, and then the people who want to dance, you know, it's 1am. It's like, ah, <laughs> but other than that, I think the Orlando Congress is an excellent Congress. Um, uh, Vegas Congress was decent. Um, Chicago Salsa Congress, I, I had a great time at that. I would say it pretty comparable to Orlando. Um, I, it's been a couple of years since I've been there. I think I went to 2011 Chicago Congress. That was a good one. Um, I really have, I'm really starting to get involved more rather than congresses doing competitions. So any event that has a competition, that's really where I'm at. For example, this past year, um, World Salsa Summit in Miami. Mm. I mean, it's a competition, but it also has the social dancing aspect and performances at night the same way you would, let's say, a Congress. So in a way, it's kind of like a Congress because during the day there's competitions and there's also a separate room for workshops. And then, you know, at night there's more professional competitions, like really putting on an amazing show. And then you'll have a little bit of only a few performances and then Boom, social dancing till 4 a.m. Like, it's amazing. Like, the World's Salsa <laughs> Summit, in my opinion, was really up there. Like, I had such a phenomenal time because you have the world's best literally in one place. You know, like, it's hard to find that at a Congress. Like, you'll have a lot, you'll have some really amazing artists, but only a couple of them. Whereas, like, at a competition, like, when I was there, like, literally, there was people from Spain, from Australia, from India, from Japan. There was from um, South America. And they, these were all, like, top competitors representing their countries. Like, it was sick. Like, just seeing the styles and the differences and, and getting to, like, talk to some of them, like, that was really cool. 
So yeah, yeah. man, World Salsa Summit. Yeah, I, I got put. I got put that on my list. World Salsa Summit. World Salsa Summit. Okay. Um, okay. The first one was last year in 2013. Uh, 2014, it just happened. It was the first weekend in February, I think. And uh, yeah, it'll be coming again in 2015. I'll be competing there again. Great. Yeah. Good luck. So the uh, the next one is favorite dance style. If you had to pick one. That. Uh, Oh, that's a tough one. Um, well, if you understand a little bit about me, I, I, I grew up doing home-style salsa. In other words, I was doing like the Cuban style, a little bit of Rueda. Then, of course, I went into LA-style salsa, and then I've been doing New York-style salsa. So it's like, to me, it's ah, it just depends on your personality and what it is that you want out of your dance. And for me, I think it's New York style salsa. What I love about New York style salsa is the fluidity of it, like being constantly connected to your partner. I love connection. I'm all about connection. So if I have a good connection with my partner, not only, um, I'm not even talking physical here. I'm talking of like that, that chemistry and beyond chemistry, talking about the literal connection that you are connected to the person with your hands or the, behind the back and the, and the frame. And there's something about New York style salsa. It, just, it has like a flow, especially with um, whether you're dancing it on, on one or on two, it doesn't matter. It, to me, dancing on one or on two is all about the song tells me what beat to dance on. Some songs you have to dance on one. There's some songs you have to dance on two. Um, for me, a majority of songs are meant to be danced on two, but that, you know, it's all a feeling, right? Yep. And each their own. So, um, I would I would go ahead and answer that with New York style salsa. It's just okay. the flow okay. of it is just perfect. I love the connection. Yep, I would agree. The uh, the last question I have is just what are some things that you often see on the dance floor, whether you are dancing with that person or you're just watching them dance, that you would put in your pet peeve category. You know, something you see people do quite a lot of that uh, you wish was more well-known as something to, to address and to fix. All right. And this could be, this could be dance technique. This could be dance etiquette. This could be all different kinds of things, but uh, what, what jumps out at you? Okay. Um, a lot of it has to do with etiquette actually. Um, and this, I've seen both ladies and gentlemen do this and it had, it's been done to me and it's something I absolutely cannot stand and that is when you're dancing with someone, and it does not matter what level they are, if they're amazing dancers, top competitors, or just beginners, I cannot stand it when a person is basically dancing with you, but like their body's dancing with you, but their mind is somewhere else. <laughs> What's the point? You know, get off the floor and go do, go handle your business, whatever it is you need to do. Don't be dancing with me because it makes me feel like crap. It really does. Like if, some, if, I, if I'm dancing with a lady, and she's checking out who's checking her out or if she's looking blankly at me or, or at the audience or whatever, it's like, well, what am I? Am I a piece of meat that you're just dancing with? It just, I don't like that. And I see people do that and whether it's done to me or if I'm actually seeing it happen, like I will not want to look at that couple dance. Like it's just, it's like, uh, you know, it just irks me. Uh, has that happened to you? Have you have you experienced? Yeah, yeah. you know it, it has, and I think one of the big reasons that I got addicted to this dancing was that you get lost in yourself and you get lost in the state of flow where you're in the the present moment, right? And so what you're describing there reminds me of getting out of that present moment, right? You're 
worried about what others are seeing from you, what they're thinking about, uh, what you're going to have for dinner that night, right? But if I can't, if I'm in a state of flow and they are not in a state of flow, in a state of presence moment, then that's going to bring me out of that present moment as well, right? So it's hurting my dance. Yes. So yeah. So yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. That's, absolutely. That's, that's one of my biggest pet peeves. Um, another one uh, of mine has to do with um, a, a connection. Again, I'm big on connection. And that is, I really feel ladies need to understand the difference between tension and compression. And basically, it's the difference between pushing and pulling. Um, and understanding how you need to integrate both in dance. Not one is just used, they're both used. And it's annoying to me when girls are hanging on me or they're pulling on me or they're tugging on me, and it's like, just flow, go with the flow. You know what I mean? Like you just said in what you were saying how about the flow, and it's, it's the same way with I feel in connection and dancing with someone. Like there needs to be that compression, there needs to be that tension, but knowing when to switch between the two and, and vibing right together. And that's going to make a very fluid dance. It's going to be very supple. Actually, Kumo, I don't know what compression is. I've never heard that term. I know tension where you are giving the proper tension back to the man so there is that connection. You can do a lot of these leads that you need to do. But how would how would you actually define compression? I, I think you already defined it, but can you help me understand that a little bit more? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it, um, this is why I, I, I feel like learning other dances really helps, you know, the one you like the most, like salsa. Um, in West Coast Swing, and, and all the dances actually, particularly Latin dance. Latin dance is supposed to be compression-based. A lot of people teach it as tension-based. Tension-based is more for West Coast Swing. Tension-based means you are settling back into your hips, away from your partnership, creating a V-frame. A V-frame is meant for West Coast Swing. Latin dancing, you're supposed to be on the ball of your feet, forward poised pitched over the ball of your feet, which is going to create compression. When you are creating an A-frame that is slightly leaning towards each other, at the connection where you're at in the middle, it's going to create compression. It's, it's kind of like the same way to describe compression is um, if you were to hang, like lean against the wall. Put your hand against the wall and that's compression. Mm-hmm. Um, tension is the opposite. Mind you, salsa uses both. West Coast Swing uses both. Roomba uses both. Tango, you have it. I mean, all the dances, you're going to be switching and using both compression and tension. But to have a one abstract mind that only one way is a rule for a dance is I, I, very ignorant, in my opinion. And it's uneducated because people need to understand that tension, uh, that compression and tension are necessary. That's part of connection. And, and depending upon what's being led and how you want to speed up or slow down or hit something, you know, you're going to have to switch between the two. So if you're constantly in tension, it feels like the person weighs 500 pounds, you know, whereas if you're using compression, it's light as air. So mm-hmm. that's, that's another big one of being able yeah, to yeah. have that comprehension. That's great. No, I, 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 that makes a lot of sense. I really appreciate you explaining that a little bit more. I'm definitely going to remember that one. Cool. Um, so with that being said, uh, I want to give you just a last opportunity if there is anything that you want to talk more about uh, your studio, about upcoming performances or competitions that you will be uh, be competing in, or just anything else you want to talk about here. Uh, about, I know you're based out of, I believe, Naples. If you want to talk about the local Naples scene or anything else here just to, to leave our listeners with. Um, well, if anyone wants to visit, we, we have so many events that we do actually locally. We're, we're, we're not so much about um, – 
our, our image that everyone else sees us as. We're more about our students. Like, we're more about um, creating a good experience for our um, all of our students and trying to nurture and grow the salsa scene locally because there is not really a local dance scene locally where we're at. Naples and Fort Myers' scene is incredibly small, and there's a lot of people with the drive and the passion to get good at it, but it hasn't been really nurtured yet. And, and to really be an instructor in the scene it, that's something you have to have a passion for, and that's that's something that um, Christine and I have a passion for with our company is um, not so much going to congresses and events. I mean, even though we do those in, in competitions um, for ourselves and for students because we do programs, but um, really just creating events for our students. For example, like we'll have like student night outs, like where we go out dancing as a big group, or um, we have like um, we do beach parties and, and boat tours and. And we have, like, these house parties. So, we're, like, we do a lot of stuff with our students just to, like, really get them proactive and, and really dancing and practicing what they're learning and, and really creating, like, a safe environment. So that's really what we're about. Cool. Great, Kumo. Hey, I really appreciate it. Everybody check out Dolce Vita Dance Company. What's the, the website, Facebook page? Uh, Facebook is um, facebook.com slash Dolce Vita Dance. Um, if you are friends with me on Facebook, you'll see it right away on the like my main homepage, you can like connect uh, to there. Um, my website is www.dolcevitadance.com. And uh, on there at the top um, corner, it has our YouTube link, our Facebook page link. There's a whole bunch of different information um, there as well. Awesome. Great. So Dolce Vita Dance Company, check it out. Kumo, really appreciate the time, man. I learned a ton here. Uh, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you for having me. Awesome. Thanks for listening to this episode of This Week in Salsa. If you have a free moment, I'd really appreciate if you can give us a five-star rating on iTunes. And while you're at it, you can subscribe to us on Stitcher, like us on Facebook, and follow at This Week in Salsa on Twitter. And if you have any ideas for blog posts, interviews, or anything else, or if you just want to ask a question, feel free to email me at rob at thisweekinsalsa.com.